Welcome to Frame Rate, the show where we rate frames. There's gold in that third. There's gold. Um, I'm Mrs. Mikey, and oh, this is Mick Abe. Mick Abe, yeah. It's a slam dunk. Mrs. Michael, Michael and a Mick slam dunk. Abe. <laughs> Your name is MCC Abe, like CCH MC Abe over here from 1971. Uh, Robert Altman for the win. Uh, yeah, hey, hey, this is Hi. for me. Welcome. Uh, Robert Altman for the win and Andrew Mariness for the win. A repeat offender uh, hitting up the pick the flick tier over at patreon.com slash small beans to help. Work with us to determine what film we cover. It used to be just, and it still can be, that you yeah. send us one movie and we go, okay. Uh, but Andrew Mariness and other Pick the Flickers have been kind enough to often give us a range of films, a smattering of movies they'd be interested in covering. So there was some volition involved when we picked McCabe Ooh. and Mrs. Miller. I think really the thing that Andrew <laughs> wanted was just an Altman. We haven't done an Altman that I can think of. Nah, mm-hmm. we haven't done an Altman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will say right off the bat, uh, I was delighted to... I, I mixed this up with Harold and Maude, I think. I thought yeah. it was another How kooky love story of some kind. Or just yeah. like a 70s... I knew it was 70s era, blah, blah, blah. Point is, everybody knows I'm a sucker for Westerns. When it started Ooh, and it yeah. was like pans across Wild West, I was like... Oh word! Is this Wild West shit? Oh, oh word! Nice. Oh, word. I was delighted. And um, then Odo shows up, and you're like, "Oh word!" But his <laughs> heart sure. is not big enough, man. Yeah, uh, that's um, fair. I kept looking for him, and I was like, "Oh, that is that is Odo." Yes, Odo is in this, um, but also Warren Beatty and. What are the other big names in this? Is that mostly who we know? Julie, Cri- Julie Christie is in Julie it. Julie Christie. Yeah. It's the first role of Keith Carradine. Um, oh, oh, nice. Okay. Shelly Duvall makes an appearance. Oh, yeah. Shelly. Yeah. Oh, Shell. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to say in a quick, quick nutshell and then pass it over to Abe for like personal relationship because I had no personal relationship to this movie having mm-hmm. not seen it. I'm deficient in my Altman and I think we'll get, I mean, obviously we'll get into what we learned from Altman from this movie, but uh, having no relationship with it, I will just say that uh it in a nutshell is about a <laughs> I found um the A plot and the B plot kind of disconnected. So it's about a guy who builds invests in building up a boom town and owning the town and tussles with some investors and ends up having to have a gunfight with them. He also, as part of that, owns a brothel and has a relationship with the lady who runs the brothel and they fall in love. But he also owns the rest of the town. Yeah, he's the major moneymaker. He's a businessman. Yeah, and he uh, eventually there's there's a zinc mine. Some dudes are like, "Fuck you, we're gonna kill you to own this town." Uh, yeah. If you've seen Deadwood, it's a you know it's, it's a Leviathan situation. Yeah, it's Hearst is moving in on your town. You got to stand up. The man's gonna stand up. It's uh, like that's the thing with uh, westerns, and I know you know because you love it. They it's one of the most repeated kind of formally suggestive kind of genre it does this thing where it's like hey 
let's just do okay corral again oh hey let's do tombstone you know it's like yeah. we don't give a fuck we're just like put us in this world well and what else is it for if not i mean the wild west is so at its core there's like three things it is at its core right but at its core is one is um the pioneer spirit and that pioneering is a special time that only happens once and then civilization overtakes it and it's over mm-hmm. now. And there's this unique period and something's been lost in the sense of adventure and or independent spirit and or being in touch with nature. Um, when civilization comes in and complexifies life, you lose a simplicity. Right. Uh, and this movie is indeed partially about that. Yeah, it's definitely uh, it's one of the formative kind of revisionist westerns. Uh, it's a self-proclaimed, meaning Altman called it an anti-western, and I'd say he's right about that because, um, like many westerns, it deconstructs heroism and, like you said, the frontiersman spirit, and that it's just like messy. And at this point in 2023, it's old hat. But in 1971, also in the following year, Jeremiah Johnson came out, Sidney Pollock. Mm, yeah. Uh, so like that's where we're at. <laughs> nod. I you smile know? and nod at you. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's also before standing, kicking you off a cliff. Uh, it's also, I think, uh, notable in that. Well, I just want to say real, real quick that uh there's sort of movements of Western, the spaghetti Western, which is mm-hmm. operatic classic. And interestingly, Violent. still t- c- tackling some of the same themes, just in a, what we would consider a sanitized way. Then revisionism, and it didn't just happen in the Western genre, is this whole right. period in film where we're all about, and you know this from <clears throat> pop culture, now the anti-hero's big. So, uh, Batman yes. isn't just yes. beating up criminals, but it's questioned whether the criminals might be sympathetic or Batman might be crazy. You're so right. You're so right. Yeah. And it's like we, we're like sped up too because it's like I want people who like haven't really like thought about like the film history of it mm-hmm. to be like, oh, Westerns equal sign superhero movies because it's yeah. absolutely the same trajectory. It's like a decade or two. Of just like this is what it is. This is the thing. And now, and, we're and I think a shit ton. Partly Tarantino, but and then we should bounce back to McCabe, of course. But interesting that I feel like we've firmly moved into a meta period where you don't. Rev- it's it uh, making stuff gritty now seems played out. Uh, like yes. just doing that. So now we feel like most shows or things in a genre have to comment upon the whole history of the genre or wink to it or be knowledgeable of it in some way uh, and mm-hmm. have a meta commentary about itself. Right. Um, but back to McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Abe, you said you had an interesting history with this I movie. Want, well, it's not interesting. I just want oh. to explain to people who have followed this podcast. If you want, you, everyone knows that Michael's weird. Michael is a weirdo. He's just a big weirdo. Uh, I am less of a weirdo, but this is my, this is why I am kind of weird. Because as a kid, we as a family had this on VHS, and it is a kind of special nostalgia for me, which is weird because like you're like ten to twelve years old and you're watching. You know, uh, McCabe and Mrs. Titties, Mrs. yeah, lots of. Yeah, I mean, there's not a, a lot headshot, of titties, but a headshot, it's, it's, yeah, it's not the movie uh, you'd say a kid was into, and so, but like as a kid, I couldn't get past the atmosphere, and the same thing happened to me what when I watched, word. When, yeah, uh, when I played uh, Red Dead Redemption Two, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, before totally. I could. When I was like 10 or 12, before I could put words to it, it felt like it captured time so effortlessly that I was like, 
Yes. I was like that and like the sound of music. I was like, I found myself watching over and over, you know, alongside Jurassic Parks and Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. But like, I just wanted to say like, this absolutely is my dig. Uh, And Andrew Marinus, you know, like once again, you know, pulling up, you know, three pointers. Yeah. Um, Yeah. To put it in context for people who haven't seen it at all. It feels uh, vibes wise like the difference between Star Trek The Next Generation and Uncut Gems almost <laughs> like, uh, you know, there's yeah. two there's different kinds of plays. Also, there's uh, Shakespeare interpretations where uh, you each line is in a void of silence and very clear and, and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And both types have their place depending on the effect you want. Right. But then there there was this movement in like the late 50s 60s where it's like no 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 this is set at like a nighthawk style diner and as soon as curtains are up everyone's right. talking and there's like a gabble of shit going on it's like a yes. stage it's like a newspaper office and shit is bustling around and there's right. lots of from the moment to the end there's like a bed of sound design uh that's very warm and not crisply produced intentionally i mean in, like yeah. everything is ambient and like so and so 70s dude i also it's immediately so recognize so many things that are in all 70s cinema <clears throat> yeah and altman did this like this is altman like he like in a way no one was really doing this before he did it that's why like people like you mentioned uncut gems you know like the safety brothers talk openly talk about like yeah he's our like main influence there's a lot of filmmakers who essentially are like yeah that yeah, yeah altman's altman's the jam and uh, if people don't know his work, I mean, he did a lot of stuff, but it's like a lot of the stuff is not like remembered by history, honestly. Like He's when like you a look filmmaker's his... filmmaker. But like <laughs> the ones that you will probably remember uh, is that he, uh, he did MASH, you know, he did this movie that was pretty early in his career. Uh, he did like kind of the original Long Goodbye um, he did Nashville, which is the one that got him all the awards, but that's like considered Man. now like a retro, like art film. I forgot long goodbye. It has identical vibes to this movie, mm-hmm. just a different yeah. it's noir instead. So it's a pretty deep cut shortcuts. The player Godsford park is the most recent. Well, not the most recent, but that's like the most recent big one that he did. And that was like 2001, which is crazy. That feels like an eternity ago. But anyway, that's and Robert then Altman and, and Ant Man, Quantum Mania. Who would have thought? And then Quantum Mania, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, he's still alive. He's still kicking around. Uh, but yeah, he, he's not making films anymore. And um, the yeah, I guess I just wanted to say how like he was seminal, and uh, we'll talk about exactly like how he does it. Uh, but one thing I wanted to open up with for you, Michael, is did you notice that the main saloon bar is the same layout as Al Swearingen's bar in Deadwood? I did. And it made me wonder yes. if there's some historicity to like, is there a way all these towns? Because even the town that he's building, the model town eerily uh, similar to the Deadwood layout. And I just wonder if there's a generic and I'm playing this video game weird West right now. And the town areas are pretty much like that. And I remember that ghost town or the set in LA that I've visited mm-hmm. before where they do most Westerns. And that's also the same basic layout, right? <laughs> Chapel on a slight rise, uh, yeah. saloon with some, the, usually the brothel across the thoroughfare with balconies. Uh, and I just like, I wonder if uh, 
maybe because so many films in early Hollywood were shot on that West in that Western town, uh, that echoes on in culture that that's just the way you do a Western town. Or if they were really, if there was some standardized design to like, well, that's why you do that. Cause the logs come in and you put them here. It's just you efficient put them there. or whatever. I don't think yeah. so. I, I do not think so. I don't, I don't think we were that organized then. I well, mean, maybe, Maybe by like early, you know, 1900s, which yeah. this takes place in. This is like 1902 or something. Uh, so it's definitely a while after the Civil War. Uh, and but like, I don't know. It, I think I think it's literally Milch, because if you look at like who Altman, his like true legacy is that he makes ensembles in portrait, right? And that's like P.T. Anderson, David Milch, to some extent, Coen Brothers. This one's less ensemble than most of his, actually. Well, There's yeah, like but he, he three throws, Yeah, but he think about how much percentage-wise they take up of screen time. He just throws you people constantly. Like, what's her situation? Oh, she's having a blast and found a new friend. Move on. You know, it's like he's true. You see how he was truly the best of like the collective movies yeah. in the seventies. And like, it's coming out of like free love and like, let's make a movie, bro. You know, like yeah. that kind of era, but his films really do feel like towns. Like you don't spend long with the NPCs, but you get a solid like postcard of like how they are for a moment. Sure. And Bart and Ida, there's runners yeah. throughout. Yeah. Which most yeah, films it's just don't make runners. time for. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just like ensemble and portrait is it's it's a beautiful thing because it's a different type of movie. We don't truly make those movies. Um, I would say it's just even more pronounced in something like Osford Park where you meet like dozens of characters and they all have just a little bit. (laughs) Yes, that's true. But you're right. You can see that that's already in play for sure. Mm. Um, you'll be like, oh, what's this little blonde kid's dude? Oh, he's the biggest piece of shit ever born in the world. I see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fucking hate yeah. that kid. <laughs> yeah, that kid sucks, dude. Yeah. He, ki- he killed my Keith. Uh, no, he killed the yeah. Shaggy. There's this yeah. dude by the... Okay, so for people who haven't <laughs> seen it or have, it's <laughs> there's just this runner. So you're right. There's more runners than I recall. As They're all popping into my head now. Um Guy comes in after a long cattle drive and he's like lanky and shaggy like and like, oh, gosh and shit. And, yeah. But a, also super, super horned up and like a typical quote unquote customer <laughs> looking of the brothel. For yeah. And he's like, I'm like flush with money. I would like to fuck every woman you have. And they're like, OK. Yeah. And he just has a grand old time. And then <laughs> the only other scene with him is he like wants to get to the end to eat something. After fucking it so much that he's very hungry <laughs> and this kid guns him down for no reason. And you're like, oh, our good time fella. Like the for party's no over. Yeah. He was and bringing like, the most positive energy in the film. And he was super positive. He's like, uh, as soon as he's like, maybe <laughs> you want to take out your gun. And he's like, no, I'm good. He's man. like, chill, bro. I'm going to leave. And he, he's like, boy, <laughs> his whole vibe is like, being a cowboy sure is fun. <laughs> I love that, and he's just taken out by this little draco malfoy asshole um but yeah so that's kind of the vibes uh and it is a vibe uh and we're we'll probably mention deadwood a few times because it's also like i'm pretty sure milch was like yeah so seth bullock like literally his the way he walks seth bullock yeah timothy oilifant uh he (laughs) it feels like it's based on mccabe like so we're in this long tradition of like quotation, quotation, quotation. 
um, which is cool, I guess, you know, makes you feel smart when you learn it, but it's not neither here nor there. Uh, One thing I'll say is not nearly as much racism as you'd expect from a 1971 Western. Although that's part of revisionism was, I think, white, cis, like intersectional power culture saying... Um, we're willing we're, to like talk we shit were, about are, are like, we the baddies? Our history is not so great, you know. There was this thing called slavery. <laughs> like, oh, was there? There's <laughs> oh, this thing it? called genocide. <laughs> and of course, we're still in denial about that, many of us, and it was a whole process through the 50s, 60s, 70s. But I would say in the 70s, um, power structures were trying to earn points, or I'll be generous. Revolutionary yeah. people maybe were getting positions of power, but Blah, blah, blah. But like, for example, 10 minutes in, I'm like, McCabe will die at the end because that's the 70s jam, dude. It's like you'll notice you're right that it's not wildly racist all the time. Um, But uh, a sanitized spaghetti Western would not mention or have the scene where you're just panning across and a guy's like, you know, it's cheaper to pay the fine for murdering a Chinese person than it is. Mm. To like, like you should kill them in the mines. So here's what you do. You send one Chinese guy in with dynamite to blow the thing up and you just blow right. it up while he's it's in there. Brutal. And they're like, that's illegal because you murdered him like negligence. Uh, there right. are laws. And he's like, yeah, but the fine's cheaper than recovering him from the mine. So like literally a human life is not worth blah, blah, blah. Right. And right. Um, I would say a 60s movie would not even mention that, right? Maybe late 60s. Right. But 70s is all about that um, in a way that's, even less sophisticated than we do now, or like Deadwood, of course, is built on it. But mm-hmm. um, you'll just like, man, the seventies loves to kill the dude at the end and have yeah. like a sad folk singer play while snow covers the corpse up, which is exactly what happens in this movie. That's exactly so right. 70s. Yeah, and then it, um, oh, it's it doesn't get more seventies than like Leonard Cohen's score too. Like it just comes in and it's just like, uh. and it's all every lyric. It, and they're different. It, like it keeps coming back with different quatrains of poetry, but they're all one of those songs like Freebird. Like you, th- you thought he would stay, but over his shoulder there was a highway like, calling to his mind. And <laughs> a cold like, wind blows. Yeah. You know? yeah, um, it's like, I knew uh, I was just a station on your way, not your lover, not today. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So yeah, <clears throat> reasons also. Photographically, this movie is one of my favorites. It's so dark. It's kind of like fantastical. I, I I think it's kind of what like Hateful Eight by Tarantino wanted to be. Yeah. Because it's straight up Red Red Dead Redemption, as I mentioned, but like the damaged photographs part. Like they, so the photographer was Vilma Sigmund, which you may know. He's like pretty famous photographer. Uh, he did like worked with um. Spielberg for a long time did Close Encounters, Sugarland Express, but he also did like in like the year after this he did Deliverance, you know, like he did The Deer Hunter, you know, like so he is like he also shot Maverick, so he's like he does he's he worked in um, Western for a lot. And this is like a proto Maverick for sure, so that's yeah, super it interesting. Yeah, it It's like the non comedy. Yeah, yeah, but serious like, Maverick. <laughs> Yeah, but like it really like the damaged photograph part. They like talked about he and Altman were like, you know how like we get the photo, like all the photos we see of this era have like grain and dirt and like they're not archived well. Like we're talking 
let's recreate that. And I actually think they did it pretty damn well. Like it really does have that vibe. So when the hoopleheads are fiddling and dancing on the slippery ice mud, it feels really everything's rimmed with like um, the shadows are red shadows throughout the film instead of blue shadows. Like black can usually tip red or blue and uh, it feels super red and sepia throughout, which you Mm. think is obvious Western sepia. But I mean, in a way where it reminded me more than anything else, especially when you get these like um, geography shots that are crowded with people, but not to a claustrophobic degree, just to like a, like I'll just say it, it it reminds me of the exact look and lighting and amount of people in the space of like a Rembrandt painting, um, which has such painterly light. The light is crazy painterly in this with like smoke and cool shadows that disappear that you could nestle into. And like just people really softly lit. It reminds me of like Van Gogh's painting of the peasants working the loom and stuff. Exactly. The lighting is incredible. Yeah. It feels dim and it feels like something ominous is about to happen, but it's also cozy in its own way. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the kind of geography because that's one of the things that like I'm I like rewatching this. This really was a deconstruction of like my childhood where I was like, oh, why do I think the things I think? Oh, I thought that when I was like fucking 10, you know, like and the framing and blocking of this movie is impeccable. Uh, Like I talk all the time about on this channel about geography. I think geography is one of the more important aspects of directing. And it's like kind of gone the way of the Dodo in terms of modern films. Yeah. There's if you cannot identify exceptions. Azerbaijan on a map, you do not deserve to rare. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, no. Uh, I just wanted to point out that like, if you've watched act three, the shootout, uh, McCabe running around hiding, and the, the bounty hunters are kind of searching for him. And where we pay off our ambience because for this whole last act, everything's dead silent, but just the whistle of the wind. That's right. all you get. Yeah. And I think it's key that at all times you know where it's safe and where it's dangerous. And it mm-hmm. uses basically a system of left and right, up and down, just to signify like what's happening. And it's just so beautifully done. Um, it's kind of like... Uh, another reference that I could make would be like in Japan, Ozu, he kind of did this thing where he like recon, he deconstructed the idea of like the Japanese house and all these sliding doors and just like, Oh, you can see into rooms, rooms, into rooms, into rooms, layers. And, uh, this is like a Western version of that. Like, in fact, it's so smart. And I wanted, I wanted to see if you noticed this, like, it's so smart to have in a Western where it's like the town is growing and stuff like that to have your main location, the saloon still being constructed so you can see through walls and shit through a lot of like act. Well, yeah. Oh, and so much easier for camera setups. Right. Of course. And showing what you want to show. And he Altman like Altman shoots groups of people more than he shoots. It's in so many films. I mean, it's a standard way of shooting. It's like, we're with this character. Um, But Altman really does. He like shoots like the whole community is gathered and this happens. Yeah. What better way to reveal like the view into other pockets of drama than literally there's a hole in the wall. Yeah. And it's because it's still being constructed. And so I think that that's really. The boys can see it all. Yeah. So I think (laughs) there's. There's like something there. Like, I, I don't know. It's just a beautifully constructed film in that regard as well. Um, yeah, completely. And um, just uh, from a functional and it's based on a novel. So the novel, I'm sure, did this. But uh, it 
it just works plot wise that he basically sleeps in the model home or the arrested development model home. Like right, they're yeah. expanding the town and the whole thing, the whole fight between him and this company is about that he's ex- he knows this town's on the expansion and he has a whole quadrant of it that he's built up, but it's like a fair shot away from the part of the town that already has people in it. So uh, it's just like a cool paintball course, meaning the final shootout is an abandoned mm-hmm. town that's partially constructed that they're stalking each other through. And the only guy who's there already is the priest in the chapel and he gets got immediately. So now you're like, oh, he's just <laughs> alone. And, the, and you know, the, like you said, very clear. There's three dudes. He's got to kill these three dudes. There's too many bosses and the main dude. Right. And you're like, okay, you know the layout of the town. You know what building they're in. You understand that everyone in the quote unquote real town is busy fighting a fire. So like, or Mm -hmm. down at the far end of the town. So like, oh, he's alone. So here we go. It's, you know, the end of the shining. It's our guy versus guys. Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, I wanted to kind of ask you because you're a rightsman. Um, there's a lot uh altman often gets a lot of flack and probably rightfully so that uh when you build a film that's like this is like a town uh that there seems to be like the dialogue seems to be like inefficient or the form or the structure of the movie is inefficient what are your thoughts on that do you think that this wastes your time do or do you think it's efficient Um, Well, as a writer, I think every film should use fake film grain to simulate snow. All right. No, all right. right. But to answer your question, really, uh, I feel like this movie actually did a good job, probably because it's not late in his career where he has full control of striking Mm -hmm. a balance between that. Um, I do Mm want to talk about Mrs. Miller because I think there's problems with how Mrs. Miller is handled, probably in the book as well, if I was Mm going to guess. And just like because of the time, it's the 70s. It's not like as I mean, I'm sure in a thousand years we'll look primitive, but like it feels less sophisticated than our understanding of intersectional dynamics. Um, (laughs) But before we get into that, just to answer your question, I actually feel like it does something really cool, which is scales up and scales down. Like it's about a community for one sequence, but then the final shootout sequence is clearly just monster in the house, man versus man. Uh, he, the environment is fucked. It's poisoned against you. Cause there's dudes prowling around with guns in it. You've never fired a gun before. You've never killed someone before. You're kind of a coward. <laughs> yeah. How's he going to get out of this one? And then other moments it's scaled out. So I do think there's a bit of a feeling of, it's just what you want, dude. Like I used to be way more, and it's still my instinct. You and me both are hardcore structuralists. And I do like the feeling of having a rigid structure. I don't need it to be the traditional three act structure, not by a long shot, but mm-hmm. um, there's creative structures. Like uh, I talk about it too much, but Schenectady, New York comes to mind where it's like uh, a sequence nested within a sequence nested within. A se- so like, yeah, play with structure, but have a system that works on that level. Um, yeah. But this is not that. And that kind of movie is okay. Like dazed and confused is also <laughs> like that yes. where it's like vibes and it meanders around. So for example, in this, he goes to the law and the guy gives a big speech about how the law has reached the West and you are under the auspices of the government. So don't worry. These guys will not fuck with you. I promise. And of course, nothing are like they completely fuck with him. He has to murder them in order to protect himself. Yeah, well, yeah, but Warren Beatty's like, uh, I'm pretty sure they will. That's what <laughs> so. I love is. Yeah. He's like, um, 
Mr. Whatever, Mr. McCabe, this free enterprise system of ours works, damn it. And through it, we can protect both the small and big, big, big businessman alike. And he goes, well, I, I just don't want to get killed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like my deal. So yeah. my deal is. Yeah. But my point is like looking at it structurally, I'm like, well, cut that scene because nothing comes of it. Or have it be a phone call or a single line between two characters. like, or But then you'd miss, like you said, it's like a Red Dead Redemption game that includes side quests, for example. And they're just meant to illuminate. Like, that's what it's like for the working class man. Like, there's this dude named Bart. And when all the sex workers come to work for Mrs. Miller, there's also a girl on the cart named Ida, who turns out to be his mail order bride. And... Shelly Duvall. She has sex with him a few times. And uh, then he gets some people go like, is she a sex worker? Why is she with you? And he's offended, Mm -hmm. starts to try and beat them with his cane, slips on the ice. A good dude punches him and he falls and he cracks his head open and dies. And then Ida becomes a sex worker at Mrs. Miller's. And and sort of the last beat of it is is her going like, well, I was kind of able to have sex with him because it was just one dude, but it feels so now I'm just having sex with anyone who pays that. And she's that like, look, yes. And she teaches her how to essentially dissociate while being raped. Like, you know, when he's going at you, you just look, you count the flowers on the wall and you dissociate yeah, it's pretty. It's fucked, but it's like a little Rondo that you totally do not need and would not have in a modern movie, but is, uh, what they love in the seventies. Uh, like there's a reason there's that like cats in the cradle, Harry Chapin and like taxi is another song of his. They love little character studies where you go in and you're like, by the way, this sort of illuminates how like the lower class people, what their, what their plight is. That was a thing at this time. <laughs> I know. It's, and it creates these cr- crazy cool moments to me. Like Julie Christie at one point, like, so at the funeral of Bart, right. Uh, like she's there, she's uh, and obviously uh, Shelley Duvall's there because she's the widow, mm-hmm. and like Julie Christie just sends one look at her, and you can tell it's like I'm gonna eat you up. <laughs> you know, like, you have no come to, work for me. You have nowhere to go, but my you have place. nowhere to go. Yeah. yeah, and it's just like oh my heart, you know, like, like fuck me, that's so fucked. Uh, but it's just all about the opportunism of that. And that's like the West. That's what I think the movie's doing is it's saying like, yeah, manifest destiny, opportunism, the concept of the American dream about how we like, we stack and stack and stack upon the idea of, uh, if there's something I can benefit from go and grab it. And that's, you know, lauded. It's It's a gold rush. Yeah. It's a, yeah. And we're like, that is the spirit of America. And it's like saying, oh, but then look here at this terrible moment that is actually like when you step back, you're like, oh, no, that's fucked. That's absolutely fucked. Yeah. Like it's the beginning of even admitting that there Oh, you're like, there was a genocide. That is part of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like before this era, we wouldn't even say that out loud, per yeah. se, in pop culture. And very fascinating in realizing that the Safdie brothers, that connection only because this film also ends with a zoom in on uh, Mrs. Miller's eye and she's looking at a crystal and then the credits are a long shot of a close-up of a crystal, which Mm -hmm. is exactly Mm -hmm. uncut gems. If you're, if you've seen it, I mean, it's perfect. I mean, women and the crystals, well, and well, just thinking (laughs) of seminal shots and thought through shots that really work. Uh, another huge one for me was when he runs into the chapel and we get, 
a POV <laughs> shot that humorously pans to one weapon, settles on it, moves to the next weapon, settles on it, moves to the next weapon. Like he's thinking, maybe I could use that. Maybe I could use that. That's fucking mm. Pulp Fiction, dude. And it was a shot yeah. in Pulp Fiction that got so much attention. Like, That's oh, right. the shot when it lands on the chainsaw. What a brilliantly orchestrated shot. I'm like, man, Altman did that. That's cool. He was the guy. Yeah. yeah. I guess one more word about efficiency in the dialogue is that like, I do feel personally that the film, like it, it wastes its time on subplot, but the main plot is actually like, not in a bad way. I mean, we talked about that, but the main plot is surprisingly quick. It's not that it's like a small story. It's just that we cut, like we have a single line telling us, for example, that like the Shaughnessy company will come kill you. And then it abruptly cuts and, you mm -hmm. know, and then it cuts to the scene where, he, you know, he's talking to the, you know, the, the, the men who will represent the company. And it's like Warren Beatty goes, well, Mr. Sears, the immediate answer to that would be no, you know, and it's just like, oh, he's fucked. He's going to get, he's going to get got. And then it's just like cut to uh, Mrs. Miller doing opium, you know, like, it's right. just like, it does move. So you yeah. never feel the inefficiency because to make I think space for those it's meanderings. Quick. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, it, it's goal. It's it's number one priority is not efficiency, but it employs efficiency in the a plot to get more space to get for more stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really interesting to me. Uh, and something that we definitely don't get as much these days. I would say mm -hmm. even the innovative indie films I'm seeing are not like meditative like this, right. which is a total vibe. And we just can't state enough that it's gorgeous. Like the travel shots you sit in longer than most modern movies would. And for good reason, there's this is an era uh, where. Uh, just the fact that you recreated a Western town and are shooting in a beautiful location was in some regards, the equivalent of seeing good CG effects are today, right? Like we covered wizard of Oz recently on our Patreon exclusive, uh, show escape from the multi-curse. And we talked about how the old blow your mind special effect used to be just like, we employed a thousand people. This look how many people are on screen in costume. Yeah. We costume them all and they all have makeup and it's like a huge right. Broadway and now musical. We're just like, yeah, and <laughs> and now it's like a revenant shit or it what did it really remind me of? It really reminded me of uh Hayao Miyazaki background, like Studio Ghibli backgrounds, where you're like, yeah. let's really get a wide where we see nature in all its glory, almost like the propaganda paintings they used to make to get people to move west. Um and just appreciate like rain, you know, a cloud head slowly rolling in and rain starting to drizzle. Um, unfortunately, yeah, I jam. think it's a little marred because all those shots have Leonard Cohen singing his stupid, sad song over them. But beautiful <laughs> footage, beautiful bean footage. <laughs> that's right. That's the that's the take. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I could talk about editing. Do you want to talk about editing? Always. The like. There's something that was pretty formative in this time. If you look back, once again, film history nerd, uh -huh, uh, the clean cut out of a scene. It was more mimicked, like it was a thing in the 70s, and I'm not giving credit to Altman for, you know, coining it. In fact, I'd argue uh, that, like, there's a lot of, this was a whole kind of generation of thought, you know, like 
there you mentioned Hal Ashby he does kind of the same thing but like here's the thing is that this was one of the most polished versions of it this was like a pretty big movie and this is one of the ones that reached a lot of you know homes and I'd argue that like the 70s were like because this was 71 the 70s was like a slasher era right and there was there was something about the i think they like took the clean cut out of scene it's grunge it's a rigid yeah yeah the rigid kind of like uh you know like fuck it let's just cut let's just chill on my living room couch unpolished and chill and take our belts off and relax yeah (laughs) yeah but it was more punk right so like i'd argue that like friday the 13th and like because friday the 13th is what it is all slashers mimicking that immediately that this whole decade is aping this kind of vibe like in the case of slashers it's about cutting to out of the brutality right cut out to punctuate it right but Mm -hmm. here it's to punctuate the dramatic like juxtaposition of what follows and that that truly wasn't necessarily in all like it was it was definitely a vibe of the time but like it was never used better than altman and probably not used better than this film and it Um, does the thing a lot of westerns do which is um, you have no fix on how gory it's going to be because no one actually gets shot till very late in the film and Mm. then especially revisionist Westerns. Then when someone does get shot, it's like, I didn't realize it was going to be that gory. Like that blew his fucking arm off. Like they saved it for act three (laughs) and then they they go hard. Like, Oh, I bet you didn't realize Vietnam sucked. And you're like, Oh my God. Oh shit. Yeah. This is brutal. (laughs) Yeah. There's a little bit of that. In fact, there's a lot of, uh, just random tidbit that I read when researching this movie again. Like it was, uh, they used a lot of vets to Mm. build the sets. Mm, Um, you just because that that was like who's who's around that will build shit and then they were like okay builders do you want to be in the movie and it's like yeah oh. so like and that's something that Milch did in Deadwood as well he's yeah. just like he told everybody and he got this from Altman I'm pretty sure he was like all right extras extras everyone gather around there is a cart that's going to be rolling around that has just a bunch of like costumes on it uh, choose your costume think of your character. You're going to be that person for the next three months. Mm-hmm. And they and that's how he shot the movie. The he NPCs was like, have the NPCs they like stay yeah. consistent in the world. They say, yeah, yeah, you you craft it. You do it. I want to make this as <laughs> real as possible. You, do it. you write it. <laughs> you write, write it. Yeah, it's exactly. Hard. I write the show. It's hard. But that's it's one of the parts of the editing where he's he can just leave it on the floor because it's like, again, he's got this efficiency. Yeah. And he punctuates these moments and he's like, oh, I didn't expect I would get that. But like he would be able to later in editing, which took way longer than the actual physical production of this movie. uh, He would just be able to like force the metaphor or make you meditate on like, what does this scene mean with this scene? Um, And it feels like it has more variety of tactic than the one that's coming to mind because we just covered it. Thin Red Line, which is not a knock against it, but Thin Red Line. In order to be meditative, almost in the way like a Philip Glass Kronos Quartet piece will <laughs> go like, hey, there's no shame in taking our core theme and simply iterating on it. In fact, that's part that's part of the exercise is the simple fractal like iteration on a theme, by which I mean Thin Red Line tends to be like a postcard of images with narration and you get this little koan. This almost feels right. like Buster Scruggs if all the pieces were shuffled up together. Uh yeah. Or like you said, I, I think mean. it's super apt. Like The Witcher. 
where you're like, there is an A plot, but you're also doing these little rondos of like, here's a short story. Here's a short story. Here's, here's a, a short, short story. story. Yeah. Yeah. You go to a cave and it's more interesting than you think it would mm-hmm. be. Uh, yeah. It's that kind of shit. Um, yeah. So I just really, I don't know. I think that the, it's a sneaky thing, but it's the significance of like the editing struck the editing like tactics of this is probably more seminal than we think. Uh, I want to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. about like the meaning of the movie uh at the end there's uh the church is burning and this town comes and like puts out the water right yeah um what's the significance of that is it trying to say something about religion or is it just a symbol of like the town's lifeblood being destroyed uh i'm glad you asked now there is if you stay after the credits, of course, Warren Beatty does like a right. Bullworth style rap where he explains this. But <laughs> right. yeah. I would say that's my not issue, but that's what you trade for doing this kind of movie is I feel like these types of movies are less interested in. Uh, this is like to me, a filmmaker saying, uh, you know, that stuff I love the most where it's like. Oh, his broken watch represents how time stopped for him psychologically when the watch got broken because that was the traumatic blah, blah, blah. Um, These are filmmakers who dare to say life is not like that. Stuff doesn't mean other things and nothing happens in a serendipitous way so that some third omniscient party watching can go like, "Uh uh-huh, that bird represents their mother. (laughs) Oh, yes. I love that shit because I just like puzzles and stuff like that and systems and systems and systems. But I don't think this movie's doing that, nor do I think the book is. Like Lonesome Dove reminds me of this, which is a great epic Western novel that I probably mentioned before because it's one of my favorites, but it's like a thousand pages and it feels like this. You just meet a bunch of characters and stuff happens and by the end, most are dead of old age and that's the end. And you're like, I learned a lot about the West and I lived in it, Mm. Um, but it's just a bunch of stuff. Uh, And I guess my point is, I do think it's a fool's errand to be like, I think the fire is just to distract people so that he can have the gunfight on his own. Yep. And that that's fine. And that leads me to the thing I definitely want to discuss before we get out of this is Mm. the Mrs. Miller plot, which I do think does suffer from the time period in the sense that I don't really get an end to her arc. And I don't think she's very serviced. Like, it's no. almost why is it called and Mrs. Miller like um, right. she's just a lady that he knows at uh, she does. Uh, she does a lot of like hard headed woman who's actually more reasonable than you and surprises you by giving you good advice that leads to mm-hmm. more money and income. And, and you're she like, changes him. And yeah, you're a like- tough nut. She gets him to open up. Um, they fall in love. She tells him, don't do this. You're going to fucking die. Uh, I'll be sad. You're going to die. He does die. And she's sad. And I will mm-hmm. say that is an arc, but I think you'll agree with me and people who watch it's it. Not will know what I mean. Thing. She's yeah. not nearly as serviced as his arc is. I think that's the thing with a lot of Altman. Cause like, I'm thinking of the player and like the auxiliary, you know, roles in that too. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, it feels like it's it, when you make a community movie like this, it feels like it's bigger um, and one of the pitfalls, as you mentioned, is kind of like, oh, there's no main characters, but also we need a main character because it's a movie, you know, like otherwise it's meandering. And clearly so, they're like, which is fine, but they're like, yeah. the dude, I assume, <laughs> will be and, the main character. Yeah, the dude yeah. will be the guy. Yeah. And so, yeah, I definitely think that Mrs. Miller is getting, uh, you know, 
she's not getting serviced here. Interesting but, scenes, uh, but they don't have the clean like. Um, therefore, this happens. Therefore, this arc. happens, yeah. which his does. Yeah. yeah. In fact, while McCabe dies in the snow, Miller uh, is, as you mentioned, just doing opium again, which we have already knew. It's no new information. We just get the vibe that she's sad. And, uh, and it's no change because she was like, you're going to die. And when you do, I'm going to be sad and do opium. And then she does. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think it's like something where like you can stretch and say like, oh, yes, in a harsh reality, we all reap what we sow. She mm-hmm. turned to drugs. We choose our deaths. I don't think this movie's doing that. They haven't. Dur- no, it's it. trying to be organic. It's verite, not truly yeah. cinema verite in the way that that means a specific set of techniques. But you right. know what I mean? The 70s yeah. is interested in being like, take the sheen off. Off, man like show them what it's yeah, really like show yeah. the brutal shit yeah yeah that's right i would say that that's right which is uh you know it's unfortunate uh and it's 1971 uh, man it's so interesting <laughs> to watch then the 80s be like no let's have fun why is everything like like can we have just fun like ferris bueller's day off and heather's mm-hmm. and like you know ironic detached shit and then the 90s bounces back to let's grittily reboot everything. Uh, and then now it's harder to see because we're still in it. But as mm-hmm. we get distance, I'm sure I'll be able to, you know, pinpoint what the 10s and 20s right. were. Something, man, old movies, though, like like I was thinking about like when Harry met Sally and stuff like that, like the romance part of this movie. Like there is something about like it is not super what represented and I know that like so you people just came out mm-hmm. uh you know is like the Jonah Hill vehicle yeah there's a bunch of people in it like Eddie Murphy as well um looks pretty good from the trailer yeah or I and they was just interested. and they just had a recent like there was uh I, I read a comment because I think it was done for COVID but like the final kiss that when they shot the footage one of the filmmakers on a podcast talked about how they didn't actually kiss they did the CG for it and it's probably for COVID. we did the cg but yeah. people in the comments and this is reddit so take it for what it's worth uh were just saying like yeah the the um the chemistry between the main two is not tr- quite there it's more like they're both riffing on their own character and there's something i want to do credit about these old movies that despite the fact of like yeah when harry met sally there's like outdated and frankly destructive <laughs> conversations that happen that I'd movie. also I'm not like talking about come. that shit but I <laughs> yeah exactly but like in this movie um the way it's set up is McCabe and Miller start to develop a romance though Miller charges McCabe for sex because it's like let's keep the relationship perfect you know or by the end of course yeah but two Rule things number one, here. man, never fall in love. Never with fall in love. But he's yeah. like um could we have sex without me paying you? Yeah, he wants right. it to turn real. But in the efficiency of this movie, there's like two moments I wanted to punctuate, which is that and they happen like right next to each other, which is like like midpoint in the movie, like she grabs his jacket and like sniffs it, like really sniffs Um, it. To be clear, it's not just a jacket. It's the biggest right. fur coat you've it's ever the seen him wear. Yeah, he, that's and it. then what's funny he, is the one threat he's a to pimp him. pimp after all, I guess. The assassin know? they hire to kill him, like his one threat, has he also an has even huge... bigger fur coat. Yeah, that's, that's how we <laughs> yeah. determine status in the Old West, is how big is your jacket. Uh, but like the thing is, they're like, like she's clearly in love. And it's like, and then it cuts to him 
putting so much money in her little coffer that it like cannot be closed. And I just love that. Like, yeah, like there's, there's nonsense and it's problematic or whatever, Mm -hmm. but like, that's a sweet way to show that moment. And it's very sweet. And it is unearned. Like they never have a fun scene together where you're like, I see sparks. I think this is earning (laughs) it. I think this is earning it. It's, it's this moment. Okay. It's in tow with the movie. It's just like, how does this movie present? new facts about personality it's also very western is the love story is very stoic and doesn't need a lot of flirty details it's like yeah. i am man you are woman we're against the planes together we may as well right. be in love yeah and i don't want to like throw shit at like the way we do romance now but it's like it just occurred to me when watching this i was like that is very kind of i i like that that's that's kind of beautiful well also and the we don't do that metaphor of like the money is his penis and it won't fit that's <laughs> won't gorgeous fit. that's beautiful to me and she's sniffing his jacket <laughs> yeah. The, yeah she's like this is what you're gonna do to me right <laughs> this, now. the smell of this jacket is the orgasms the, the orgasms yeah so <laughs> so that's i don't know man <laughs> Uh, there, there's a lot of good dialogue. I'm sure that you would, you, you probably wrote down. Good some, and gritty. Wrote- yeah. Yeah. They were like, <laughs> I, I guess trigger warning, but like, <laughs> I was like, damn seventies when Berg describes how he once visited South America and in South America, you can fuck kids <laughs> right. in mud huts in front of their families. And he found that quote, pretty unusual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah at the least my friend at the least, at the least. <laughs> yeah i like there's some really archaic stuff too like he like uh <laughs> warren Beatty keeps calling like the brothel a gooseberry ranch <laughs> oh <laughs> Which i'm gonna yeah. start using now and anyone is that a thing well and he's he does um there's almost a this dude lebowski ranch. thing in it because yeah. he has like a handful of jokes <laughs> that are his go-to jokes that's right. Um, like, uh, who's this wee business? You got a turret in your pocket, which he deploys. I love twice. And once it kills, like the whole room erupts with laughter. Right. And the yeah. second time it's against the investors who ultimately kill him. And, like, um, oh, they're like, I don't excuse care. me. Like it completely yeah. dies, which is a great you are use of unprofessional, that. sir. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. but, and then the frog bump <laughs> his ass if he had wings, you know, um, but it's yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. if you've seen Last of Us, he's like Ellie, like with the joke book. Like right. he has yeah, like yeah, yeah. A, a Rolodex of very bad jokes that he deploys. And uh, I thought that was interesting because it does. I mean, it's sad. That's kind of what this a lot of the 70s Westerns and revisionist Westerns generally like Unforgiven falls in this category. Mm. It's just all around sad for people. And it's a portrait it's of not a good how time. hard shit is, because even he, for example, like Maverick is conning people and lying and telling jokes and being charming at poker and then winning at poker and having a ball, like having a delightful time that also makes us delighted. This guy, you start to see how his deployment of jokes mechanically is actually just a tactic for how he negotiates with people. And deep down, he's really just trying to survive in this harsh, harsh world. Yeah. Like that's, that's the difference between this and Maverick where Maverick's like, yeah, this is delightful. And this is like, um, like he's a charmer, but then a bigger fish comes to town and God, I do think that scene is super effective where, um, 
he's not heroic at all and he like they destroy him <laughs> I didn't his shoot confidence anybody. yeah yeah where the where he talks to the guy who really has a gun and he's like butler yeah they offered me 65 or 100 and i thought that was kind of insulting i think it's worth like 15 grand and he goes oh did you that's interesting and he goes like or 8 grand uh oh okay could you go back to them and tell them that that's okay and you don't have to murder me no i don't I don't make deals, actually. That's not what I'm hired to do. Well, I'll be honest, man. Like, the original six grand would be great. We could just do six grand. And he goes, I don't make deals. I can't help you. That scene is chilling and and interesting yeah to watch and he's like he puts on his completely his enormous jacket and goes like by the way everybody i'm unarmed so oh yeah he goes yeah, as he walks out by the yeah. way i don't have a gun and then he has yeah. two guns which is how he wins <laughs> it's how he wins he yeah. surprises him with his wiles yeah that's right uh other dialogue i wrote down is don't give me those horse puckies <laughs> yeah Pretty Which good. Is a good one. Uh, the wind whistling under your kyber. <laughs> yeah. You're like you're cold. Your ass is cold or whatever. I don't know. It's it's just I love the archaic phraseology of some of the stuff. I don't know if it's real. It doesn't need to, but it has the ver- right. resolutive. Deadwood like, even leans real. into it. Even it's Ever almost becomes it. Elizabethan hoopleheads. Yeah, shit. exactly. Yeah. Like so far removed, but I'm like, yeah, I bet like. These fuckers are saying that kind of shit. And that, like, I don't know, makes me happy. Makes me happy. Yeah. Everyone is uh, speaking it or, like, going back to Deadwood. Um, there's, like, multiple E.B. Farnums in this. And Anna Dan Doherty, his guy Smalley, who never talks yeah, but beats Smalley. people up for him or whatever. He's yeah. also kind of an E.B. Farnum, too, yeah. though, because he, like, parrots what he says and tries to pass it off as his own. Um, when Because he's the foreman yeah. for the saloon build. Write in if you've ever done that, because I want to, so a trope that we talk about in films is that we have accepted ever since the earliest (laughs) plays is that someone can lie transparently enough that the audience knows they're lying, yet the people Mm -hmm. in the scene won't pick up on it, right? And everyone points out ultimately, wait a minute, that's stupid. That's never happened in life. I feel like there's a new one I've noticed in this, but is in a lot of movies, um, which is that it's a, I always think of home improvement with Wilson, the stupid neighbor. So it's like <laughs> a person who hears something, Lebowski does it too, and then later repeats it word for word because they thought it sounded good to another character. Has anyone ever done that in life? Like repeat word for word the advice someone gave you. Mm-hmm. I have never, ever, ever own. done that. And it's never occurred this, to me to do that. <laughs> I think people do that all the time. Okay. I think that this uh, this is different because it's like, uh, McCabe says it to a group of people like look you're gonna I forget what the line is but you're gonna have to do this and I know you're you're working at the mine and then you're you know putting extra time and working here at this here saloon but let's like I want to light a fire under your asses and then uh, you know Smalley comes in and he's like look look M- Mr. McCabe knows that you work at the mine and you come here in your free time and you do this but let's get some fire under our asses yeah. and it's like literally right after yeah. and that I think it's to I mean obviously it's just to show that like they're all you know fucking you know this weird this this old school working class that like in a way is like the butt of a joke right you know and well and he like also repeats phraseology you know? that Miller tells him behind closed doors To, of course, show that even though he still is misogynistic and says, like, why would I ever take advice from a woman and shit, uh, her advice is sinking in, right? Because he repeats it. Right, and that's also kind of the part, you know, is he's not... 
like even McCabe himself, he's not fancy. He doesn't I just think it's a slightly farcical convention. Yeah, it is farcical. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. We, I mean, talk about farce. We get that scene where like Warren Beatty is just burping and stumbling around in his room. Oh, that's the other dialogue I wrote that I really liked is when he yeah. is uh, <laughs> super drunk and he's like, she owes me more because or she owes me more compliance and information because we're business partners and this and this and this. And uh, he's at her door and it's locked and he's like, you're not supposed to lock the door. And he goes, if you think I'm going to have this conversation through a door as he's like trying to break the door down, but he mm. realizes he can't. And he goes, mm, that's fine with me. <laughs> yeah, I'm so, um, <laughs> fine with that. Yeah, he's just li- taking L's, just taking L's left and right. Yeah, uh, it's kind of cute. It's also, you know, it's it wants I to be know. cute and sad. It wants to realistic, be realistic, quote unquote. It's, it's yeah. a real Hal Ashby, a real Robert Altman. Um, Crazy to see know. an old timey steam powered fire engine. That was fun in and of itself. Right. A real, it was clearly real. Or like, I don't know how you, why you would fake that. Just make one. No, no, it was, yeah. it was real. And they used it to like power the town or some shit. Yeah, that's I, cool. I, yeah, that's really cool. Just bring everything, build a town, shoot a movie. Mm-hmm. Smart, smart. Yeah. So if you all wanted, right. yeah, that's all I got. Like, I that's was, all yeah, I got. Man. If you want to chill in those vibes, seventies Western vibes, it's yeah, good. like it kind of reminds me at times of uh, what Once Upon a Time in Hollywood like feels like. Where you're just chilling with those, yeah, with Brad you're just and chilling Leo. with the vibes. Yeah. But it's also like, but imagine that if it was like in Red Dead Redemption's like the Strawberry or right. Coulter, yeah, you know those towns in that in that video game. Like real strong, like, ah, this is just let me go inside this little log cabin and turn on the fire and, you know, like fucking just And chill it's still sad in a melancholy way, but not as bad as Hateful Eight where it's like, yeah, forcing people to suck your dick at gunpoint and shit. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, not that yeah. hardcore, but it's still it's like, not the brutal. It's like a deaths. sad play where you know it's the messy, guy's going to die at the end. Yeah, but not brutal. Yeah. Uh I, I love it. I love the atmosphere. Remind the vibes. me of Blue Ruin vibes as well. Blue bit. Ruin as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially in the score in terms of like, you know, it's just this one thing that kind of ties everything together. And the fact that it tone. makes interesting hay out of just um, stuff you would find in a history book, like little factoids. Like, I like mm-hmm. um, there was this brief period where they had steam power, but nothing better than that. And they had these weird Dr. Seuss looking fucking fire engines. Okay. Let's yeah. show one of those. That's interesting. And the way they heated just the history. water was, you know, just yeah. like a bar, like a, a heated bar that is running a, and then you just run water over it. You yeah. know, And it's like, hopefully that heats up. So it's like, not that he's like, I'm going to take a hot bath. Interesting like, details. Probably is true. not that hot or feel <laughs> true. Know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it, it is, it's a uh, 1970s vibe for sure. So go watch it. And uh, thank you, you know, Andrew Marinus. Yeah, for, thanks, Andrew. Uh, doing that. And mm-hmm. thank you all for listening. And if you do want to check out uh, Escape from the Multicurse, Star Trek The Next Futurama, Spielboys, several others as well, uh, we have a ton of bonus podcasts over at patreon.com slash small beans. That's right. Boop. Blue.
This has been a Small Beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!